Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Ryan Cade and Blake Robertson from RC Ranch coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is an expert on food, wine, and good times. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. Happy 2022. You know, that doesn't roll off my tongue very well, so I had to say it like that. All right. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, the team behind Tobio Sushi and Katie, especially Chef Sherman Young and General Manager Lee Chow, reveal that they are working on a restaurant called Money Cat that will open next to Kieran's in the Upper Kirby area. Felice, let me let me throw it to you. You know, Tobio opened with a different chef in charge of Mike Lim, who's now at Canal in Midtown. Sherman Young took it over a couple of years ago. Uh, you're you're our Katie correspondent. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So so what do you think about Tobio Shushi in the past couple of years that that Chef Sherman has been in the kitchen and and you know what that means for uh, Money Cat? So me being the Katie correspondent, which is hardly ever in Katie, right? <laughs> um, no, actually, it's, I like it. I think that they've done, when they first opened, I didn't go as much just because I had a lot going on. Um, but I think, so to be fair, the team there now that's there now does a fabulous job. Every time I go, I, I literally think, man, I should come here more, right? Um, but just usually before I get there, I've stopped at some of my other favorite sushi spots. So I'm very excited um, that they're doing something in the city. And um, I think that they're going to do a lovely job, especially in that space. So um, because where they're located, I know that there's not a lack of sushi spots in that area, but I like I would like to have more options that are at that level of sushi, doing sushi at that level. That's that's what I'm excited about. Right. I I, I mean, obviously, my first thought is, ooh, you know, Katarabata is right down the street from there. Correct. Mm-hmm. But then I thought again, and I thought, well, you know, Pico's, Papacitos, and El Tiempo are all basically within a couple of blocks of each other, right at mm-hmm. that intersection of Kirby and Richmond. Correct. And all three are successful. Correct. So so my thought is, you know, and, and Karen's is right there. And then you've got Pondicherry up the street at Westheimer and Kirby. And so my thought is, if, if those restaurants can coexist in the same immediate area, then surely there is room for two high quality Japanese restaurants. Correct. They are. And they're far enough apart. So to your um, comparison with the Mexican food spots, yeah, they're, I think, a little bit closer because Papacitos and um, Picos are right there. There um, still is enough space in between Cata and where Money Cat's going to be. Um, two, they're both higher in. You're going to have people that, and we've talked about this before, they're not going to park in the garage. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They're going to be in and out and they're going to go to Kata. So they can be 
at the same level and you're gonna, you know, like, yeah, I'll just go to Kata. It's down the street, it's easier. So um, I think that with all things considered, they're both firing at the same, where they're like, oh, these are at the same level, they're consistent, they both can exist. Because I would go to one or the other, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I, I think that, you know, to the extent that, you know, certainly you, I mean, you, you can go to Katarobata for an omakase, you should go to Katarobata for an omakase, but that is not the focus of dining at Katarobata. And, and my sense is that that kind of progression will be more closely integrated into what they're doing at MoneyCat. It's not, you know, that a lot of those details are still a little bit pending, but my, my sense is that, that they're really looking to take a step up in terms of preparation, presentation. You know, Chef Sherman uh, stodged a couple of Michelin star restaurants. His uh, sous chef went to LA and stodged it and Naka, which is, I think a two-star restaurant. So, you know, they're, they're aiming for a very, it seems like a, a pretty elite experience. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm, I, I'm excited about that level of creativity, that, that flair, you know, I think that's, that's all to the good. I, I, I agree. I was going to say, um, I think about them more on the lines of an MF sushi, right? Like, I think that's where, even though they're not near each other, right? But that's their um, wheelhouse. Right. I mean, you go to MF, I, I mean, you can go to MF and not do an omakase, but the, the best version of MF is sitting at the counter and having that experience. And, and that kind of feels like Money Cap might be the same way. And then they'll also do a la carte. And then, you know, the other thing is they're only going to be open for dinner. At least that's what they're saying for now. Mm. You know, Kata's open lunch and dinner seven days a week. And it's, you know, that's, that's what I like about Kata is you can, you can go there and you can have the $24 lunch special and feel like you've had a really good experience and you can go there, you know, and spend $150 a person and tear through the specials of everything that's been flown in from Japan and have like one of the best meals in the city. And it, and it does both of those things really well. But I think Money Cat's going to be a little more specialized where they're looking for that more elevated experience night in and night out. Correct. I agree. All right. Uh, anything else on this before we move on? No, I'm ready. And, and you know what? I love the name. You know, let's Money Cat. Like, oh, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, it reminded me that more than uh, roughly 10 years ago now, or maybe even a little more than that, you know, Justin, Yu, before he opened Oxheart had the money cat pop-up that was just like very casual Asian brunch pop-up. And it was, it was kind of his calling card kind of uh, announced his presence in the city before Oxheart opened. And okay. So, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know that there's there's no overlap except for people who have been like intensely following the dining scene for the last 10 or more years are going to go, oh, I remember when Justin, you did Money Cat. And, and, you know, there's no there's no connection between the two, obviously. And I'm, I'm sure that my guess would be that Sherman Young and, and those guys don't 
don't even know that that existed because they right. It just kind of happened. They yeah. weren't in Houston at the time, but it, I did have a little bit of a nostalgic chuckle about, oh yeah, I remember when money cap meant, you know, uh, big omelets and breakfast potatoes and stuff like that. Well, look at Eric Sandler coming through with the Houston food trivia for 2022. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on to topic number two, Cilantro Barbecue, uh, which has, I think, like eight locations in Austin, announced that they are coming back to Houston. Again, this is one of those old school things where Cilantro yes. had food trucks in Houston in the early part of the last decade, they left Houston in 2014, committed to Austin, and have had a lot of success doing Korean-Mexican fusion. So, you know, bulgogi tacos and, you know, spicy pork som wraps and rice balls and all that kind of stuff. Um, the OGs, least, me, honey. The OGs. Yeah, this, is, this is like when, you know, the beginning of the kind of modern food truck scene with yes. the boys and H down yep. streets and yep. good dog and all that. So Felice, let me throw it to you. Do you, do you remember Cilantro? And if so, are you excited about its return? I re- So you talk about nostalgic, like that. Um, it just makes me smile to think about it. You know, that's um, when the food trucks and that, that take anything away from the food trucks now. Um, y'all, y'all have it good though. That was back in the day when food trucks were, you know, down and dirty fighting to fight in the city for their representation and to, for us to be able to go and all of that. And, um, they were one of the, the original OGs, you know, and I just remember, um, the kimchi, the kimchi fries, like, Cause I, I wasn't, I'm like, oh, you know, kimchi. Cause I worked with LG and, and I'm like, everyone keeps talking about these kimchi fries. I go, let me just, you know, it's, it's a fusion. Let me give them a try. And um, I was hooked. They were the ones that made me, you know, give kimchi its proper respect. <laughs> so I, I like them a lot. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably right. I think a lot of people who didn't grow up eating Korean food probably first encountered it, you know, or at least some of those flavors in concepts that were fusiony, right? Like cilantro. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's probably right. And you know, even thinking about it, you know, I don't I don't remember if my first Korean food experience was from a food truck like that or if somebody actually you know dragged me out to long point and was like this is delicious you need to eat this yeah so you know i love korean barbecue but like the kimchi i just didn't get with it you know i'm like yeah just give me the korean barbecue and all the things that go with it but you keep that over there you know <laughs> <laughs> and they just they just brought it full circle where i'm like okay i'm an official lover of um have an appreciation of all the Korean food. Yeah. So no, I think, I think this is, you know, I think this is all to the good. I think they've, they've done is. very well. They've done very well in Austin. Uh, you know, certainly off the top of my head, I can't think of a lot of this kind of food, you know, obviously, you know, everybody that's doing this is kind of riffing on 
what Roy Choi did with the Kogi truck in LA, mm-hmm. you know, more than 10 years ago now that kind of kickstarted the, the modern food truck movement. And, and there are obviously there are certainly places in Houston that have, that have done that too, but uh, you know, Oh my Gogi comes to mind or, or maybe some others, but you know, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of like a brick and mortar restaurant that's doing this kind of food. And so just for that, I think, you know, bring it on. Yeah. And, and I think what they did was smart where, you know, they came from a city that it came to Houston. They were in a city that was already giving love to the food trucks. And, you know, they're like, yeah, we can go ahead and pull out of Houston. Right. And, and grow with where we are and people are loving us now. Now they come back to Houston where things are completely different. Um, the food scene is, it was already good when they were here, but it's even better. So to your point, they don't have a lot of competition in the space where they play. And now that um, they were good before they went from good to great. And now they're like, okay, Houston, holla at me, you know, holla at me. Now y'all are ready for me. Y'all have elevated, y'all are ready for us. And here we are. That's, that's what I feel like they've done. Very smart business move how they 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 did it yeah and i think the heights makes a lot of sense for this there's already a lot of you know kind of fusiony you know food trucky kind of concepts along that stretch of north shepherd obviously that's where the first uh waffle bus location is you know the burger joint kind of got its start as a food truck so i, I think it's a good i think it's a good fit for the area and it yeah. and it and it will play very well with all the bars that are kind of either on North Shepherd or off North Shepherd. And, and, you know, if they're doing late night, like that all, that all makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It all goes together. Yeah. I agree. I'm excited right. for them. And then topic number three, just a couple of uh, items of sort of, uh, you know, restaurant closure, moving type related. Uh, the first is that Backstreet Cafe has temporarily closed for the month of January, they need to level their foundation and replace the floor in their kitchen. Uh, I, I only make note of this because it was a very popular article and because I want to save myself the emails and direct messages that, oh my God, Backstreet Cafe is closed. It is, it is closed for right now, but Backstreet will be back. All right? All right. You heard it here first. Back. We'll be back. Renovations. (laughs) And then Kenny and Ziggy's last day in its current location is this Sunday, the 16th. They are moving down the street to what used to be the Luby's location at Post Oak in San Felipe. It will be a bigger and better Kenny and Ziggy's. Uh, People who've been listening to this podcast for a couple of years may recall when I had Ziggy Gruber on the podcast, and he said it's going to be Kenny and Ziggy's on steroids. So uh, bigger dining room, bigger private dining room. They're adding cocktails for the first time. They're adding an old-fashioned soda fountain. All of their gold belly shipping, their bakery, all of that will be in this building. Eric, how do you feel about that? Because, I mean, I know you're excited about the new, but far as like, are you kind of sad a little bit? Because that's a staple for you, like going over there, taking your family, your friends. Like, how do you feel about that? You know, I, I'm, I'm 
I, I don't feel any particular nostalgia for that space. It's not, frankly, it's not like a particularly attractive or, or inviting space. It's, it's really about the food and the service and, and the experience sort of apart from the physical structure of the thing. I am very glad that it's, it's, it's maybe like a half a mile away. Right. So it's not really, it doesn't, from, from the perspective of going there with my family, it really doesn't change anything. Uh, and if anything, I actually have a slight preference for the new location because I would rather navigate San Felipe than Westheimer. Correct. That's it's, fair. I didn't even think about it like that. It's just, it's, it'll be just a little bit easier to get to yeah. not having to deal with the intersection of Westheimer and Post Oak, which has got to be one of the very busiest intersections in the whole city of Houston. Yes. So Good. we don't have an we don't have an opening date for the new Kenny and Ziggy's yet, but uh, at, and yes, I will I will almost certainly <laughs> go to the old location at least one more time before it closes, uh, just for you know one last I don't know pastrami sandwich or bagel and locks or potato knish or whatever, even though it's only moving a half a mile, <laughs> and even though it would be the exact same recipes, people, equipment, et cetera, at the new location. I, I still will mark the, the You'll end pay your of final the, respects. Yeah. 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 Because they've been there for uh, close to 20 years, I think. So, yes. You know. It'll be the end of an era. Yes. And on to great, bigger and better things. Absolutely. All right. Felice, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. At least for our restaurants of the week, I want to start with Daily Gather. This is the new restaurant in City Center from the owners of Dish Society, Aaron Lyons and Trent Patterson, and also Chef Brandy Key, who joined their company last year, uh, partly to do some stuff for Dish Society, but mostly to, to help develop Daily Gather and get that on the ground, or off the ground, excuse me. Uh, Felice, we... <laughs> You know, I'm going to say we had a, well, I, I have, I have an assertion to make about daily gather versus dish society, but I'm going to hold that to the end. So let me, let me just throw it to you. What did you think of our, of our meal at daily gather? I was so happy. It, um, when I think of the name daily gather, when I walked in it, like if I didn't know anything about it, it lives up to what they're trying to do and it just felt, um, it felt familiar and comfortable. Um, I felt like um, it was a warm, inviting space. And I like places like that um, with it being very modern and the designs are nice. So when I walked in, I was like, oh yes, I love this space. Um, it made me feel good. Yeah. And then it represented like when I think about Aaron's concepts, it's, I'm like, okay, it's an Aaron concept. He gets that. He does that so thoughtfully and so well um, when they're thinking about how they're putting something together and what they're trying to convey. So from that standpoint, 
Um, I was very excited and had high hopes. That's what I thought. And they lived up to that part. Check. So I'm going to give it first check, check. Well, and, and I thought it was so interesting because Jen Braverman, who's the designer, happened to be dining when we were dining. <laughs> she came over for a second and our friend said, it feels really homey. And I, I don't know if you were going for that, but that's, and she's like, yes, that's exactly what we were going for. That, that feeling of, you know, being in a person's home, but not like, I think about Rosalie, which is, which is sort of intentionally mm-hmm. sort of kitschy and retro and, and daily gather. Isn't that it's just, it's just kind of the use of materials and and the way the space is decorated just feels comfortable, yeah. and and I thought the you know the tables and chairs were very comfortable. I I was very you know we were there for I don't know probably two or three hours just because we were having a good time and and talking and and you know lingered over our cocktails and desserts and all that and and you know it was time to go but I wasn't I I I didn't feel like uh you know it's like I'm. It, I I got to get out of here. Right. It was, it was it was time to go, but it wasn't it wasn't because of anything about the space. It was just you know we had been there for a while. Right. It right. felt like to your point, it felt like we could have been at your house, my house, anybody's home. Right. With the people that we were dining with, having drinks, they have these conversation starter cards, which are super smart. You know, we we did that a little while and kind of talked and answered some of those questions. We caught up. Um, we had drinks and apps and talked food. The things that you would do if you went to someone's home or uh, a dinner party, it just felt comfortable. Like we weren't, you know, you're comfortable. We weren't ready to go, even though it was time to go to your point. Yeah. Right. So maybe talk about the menu. Maybe what were a couple of your favorite things that we ate while we were there? Okay. Um I'm going to go simple. I'm going to go simple because some things you're not going to say. Um, doubled eggs. You know, if you either like them or you don't. So I'm like, okay, yeah. But um, the way um, that they, it's it's very, you take a bite of it and you're like, oh, this not, it doesn't have kick because it's spicy. It has kick because it's just bursting with flavors that they've developed. Brandy's very good with doing things like making simple, taking it to the next level. Um, so I thought that I, I enjoyed that. Um, I'm going to say the next thing that I thoroughly enjoyed that's maybe not so simple was um, the bone marrow. It was exactly what it should be. It was rich and tasty. And um, I just wanted to keep eating it. Um, it was done very nicely. Those are my two favorite apps um, on the menu. Yeah, I'm going to say that the, you know, bone marrow is so rich. Sometimes it can be a little bit greasy when it's not prepared properly. And this was, this was spot on. It, it spread nicely on the toast. It was seasoned well, and we, we absolutely devoured it. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the one, the one that comes to mind was that coconut tuna aguachile, just with the, the yellowfin tuna with the, the onion and the peppers. And I thought that that uh, ginger coconut broth had a little bit of zip, a little bit of sweetness, you know, served with the crunchy shrimp chips to make it really easy to eat. 
And then the other one was that citrus avocado, which is yes. just a, it's a pretty simple looking dish of, you know, a, a sliced avocado with grapefruit and orange and a little bit of shaved fennel with the super creamy burrata cheese. And, and I just, you know, you, you, you sort of get everything together in one bite, right? You get, you get kind of a, a firm avocado, the creamy burrata, and then the, the citrus, the acidity from the, the grapefruit and the oranges. And you get that all in one bite and it's sort of sweet and creamy and salty. And it, it's just a very delicious, yeah. very satisfying. Very fresh. Appetizer. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're just like thinking fresh and tasty. Yeah. And you're sort of looking at it and you're wondering like how all these things are going to get together. And then you get it all in one bite. And you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is really delicious. It's really, it's really delicious. Yes. The drink, we have to say the drinks were good paired well with, um, they have a wonderful cocktail program. We won't spend too much time with that. I don't let you want to, but I thought they paired well with some of the appetizers, which they would, I don't think they were going for that, but it, it just, it all kind of worked together for me. Well, and, and I, yeah, I thought all the drinks were very well executed. I mean, my bourbon sour was spot on. I, I sipped a spicy margarita that I really liked. I know you had a couple of gin cocktails. Mm-hmm. You really enjoy it. I, I, I think the important thing is that they have a, a pretty wide selection in terms of having different cocktails made with different spirits and different flavor profiles. So if you want to go sweet or you want to go tart or you want to go boozy, like they've they've got choices for you. That's the important thing. And um, far as the entrees, I had the braised short ribs um, with the gnocchi and y'all were a little jealous of my dish. Not because y'all's weren't good, but because, you know, we have a thing when we all go to eat who has the best dish. And that night I had the best dish. So I had a little food in me, but. Um... Yes, I felt like I got out Whataburgered. <laughs> uh, you know, in part because like I, my salmon was really nicely cooked. It was medium. It had a crispy skin or crispy exterior mm-hmm. that I, I really enjoyed. And it, and it came over that rice, but it just wasn't as sort of hearty or as satisfying as, as the braised short rib with the braising liquid and the, the Parisian style gnocchi. Like, you know, it just, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't as uh, exciting, but it was, it was very, very tasty. tasty yes. And I was happy, I was happy to have ordered it. And then, uh, you know, I thought that spinach pasta was really good with, and, and it came with, more burrata, yeah. which, you know, I'm, I'm totally fine. Yeah, with. it was delicious. And I will say, and I, I because I know we're going to possibly move on here. Here's one of the things that I want to highlight. Um, I brand if chef Brandy, of course, she's my favorite, but I have to say this about the menu, the menu is done and I'm, and I'm, I'm sure they're still working on it. They're going to change some things, but it is Brandy at her best and Brandy at her best. Um, her love of what she does and her energy is in the food and in that menu. And she's, I just feel like she's gotten, not that she, that she wasn't cooking great, but I just feel like she is in her happy place with cooking and she's got her swag back. This is the space that she needs to be in and she's owning it. I just felt that like, I was like, oh, wow, this is, Brandy's love is in the food and I and I told her that and she said I'm very happy 
I, I will say this is the most excited I have been about a brandy key menu since Salter Seafood Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so here's my kind of aggressive thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna say to you about this restaurant, and you can agree with me or disagree okay. with me. But I respect Dish Society as a restaurant, but I almost never choose. And if if somebody's like, oh, I need a place I can take my kids that's quick but healthy and not you know pretty casual and and relatively affordable it's like oh yeah dish society it's great i don't really eat there like i i don't choose to eat there very often daily gather on the other hand and and if someone ever said to me oh dish society is my favorite restaurant i would be surprised by that daily gather it you know I know a lot of people who live out in West Houston, a lot of people in Spring Branch Memorial, all that. I would be happy to meet them at Daily Gather. I'm already making plans to meet some of them at Daily Gather. And if someone said to me, oh yeah, Daily Gather is our favorite restaurant, I, I would totally get that. And I would never have thought that about Dish Society. Correct. Now I go to Dish Society just because um, it's there's one near me and there's I have favorite dishes. I go at least every few months to get something from this society, if it's breakfast or lunch um, or dinner. Um, but to me, they're even though they're um, sister restaurants, they're really apples and bananas. Like they, I don't put them on the same playing field. So to your point, um, I, I don't compare them. I don't get excited. I just go to Dish Society. Like some people go to Whataburger, Right, this society is like a comfort place for me. Daily gather would be um, where I'm like, oh, let's meet at daily. I get excited about that, and not if that makes sense. So I agree with you. No, I definitely agree with you. Good. All right, Felice. For our second restaurant, I want to talk to you about Mastro's Ocean Club. This is the sister concept to Mastro's Steakhouse that just opened in the Woodlands. Uh, you know, I I have only been to Mastro's Steakhouse in in the Post Oak once, and it it was still new and it wasn't a great experience. And I hadn't been back since, so I was very excited to try Mastro's Ocean Club. And I I do think that that we had a good we had a, a very good meal there. I'm going to say I would agree. I would agree. What were some of your favorite dishes that we ate at? Master's Ocean Club. Definitely the, um, we had a sushi tower. And, um, and I think that's one of the things like you were kind of, you were talking about that makes it different, have a more, they're more seafood forward. So I appreciated the sushi tower um, and where you could kind of select different, what you, how you want to customize it. And all, that sushi was absolutely delicious um i thought it was fresh um i'm trying to remember we had a yeah we had i we had a lobster roll and we had the a, lobster uh, roll yes that one like was a, delicious like a a beef roll with asparagus they're these kind of modern fusion maki rolls and and you know i recognize that there's like sushi purists who, you know, crawl up and shrivel up into a little ball at the, at the, even the thought of uh, those kind of dishes, but you know, they're Japanese inspired. Yeah. They're not, they're not meant to be authentic. They are, and they are, I mean, they are very tasty. Mm-hmm. 
And we had a little sliced tuna and a little bit of uh, hamachi, I think, with truffle that, that we really enjoyed. Oh, yeah, that was the star with the hamachi with the truffle. Yep. And then we had that really decadent seafood tower with oysters and shrimp cocktail and crab and lobster. And, you know, I think for me, like that's part of that Mastro's experience is you want that excess. Yes. <laughs> and so if you go to Mastro's, like, you know, like, you know, it's going to be an expensive meal. And, and I will say we were we were invited and we were their guests. So they paid for the meal uh, and we we left a generous tip. But it's a celebratory kind of place. And so it makes sense to me that if you go there, that you would splurge on something like that. And they do a, you know, they do a really good job with it. Yeah, that was um, very enjoyable. I, it was, you know what, overall, the steaks were um, delicious. And <laughs> it's a steakhouse. But how, however, we know plenty of steakhouses that don't. I'm like, you, you do steak. You should do it well. The steak was done well. Um, I left there fat, fat, full. I'm going to say fat, fat, full. I was. I was a very happy girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and, and, again, and again, like all the stuff that they do, you know, like if you if you go and you, you know, like get the lobster mashed potatoes you're, or the lobster mac and cheese, right? Because it's going to have, yeah, it's like a $30 side, but it has a ton of lobster in it. It tastes like lobster. You can see the chunks of lobster in it. They're not, they're not trying to trick you. No. It's exactly what it's supposed it's to be. It's a whole lobster. And they, <laughs> yeah, they do a good job. And I have to say this. If you don't get the butter cake for dessert, like, I'm like, why did you go? Really? Like, why did you go? You can eat, save, I mean, just a corner, just a little space to take a bite. Um, and take the rest home. I don't know what to tell you, but you have to get the butter cake. It's literally, and I was telling someone, it's one of my top three desserts of all times, that butter cake. Yes. No, I, <laughs> I second all of that. It is, it is an essential part of going to Mastro's. <laughs> now, let me say, I, I was waiting for my car at the valet stand and the guy, the, one of the guys working there says, so, you know, what do you like better, this one or the the one at Post Oak. And, and my thought was like, you know, man, they're, they're really two different, very different restaurants mm -hmm. because the Post Oak location is so big and such a scene and so lively. And it has that, that quality of like a celebrity, like a, a, a very famous person, you know, someone from the Rockets because you know, Tillman Fertitta owns Landry's and Mastro's and he also owns the Rockets. Like someone from the Rockets could show up. Tillman Fertitta could show up, you know, visiting musicians that are staying at the Post Oak could just walk in there and want to drink. You know, it has that kind of celebrity, like high energy quality. Correct. I was going to say all that. The energy, when you walk in the door, you're like, when you literally walk in the door, the energy is just oozing out. You're like, oh my God, it is like a party. And you know, you are in the place um, where all the party people, all the pretty people, all the power to your point, everyone is there. Um, that's the feel you get at the post oak location. Yeah, I, that obviously is not going to happen in the Woodlands. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have, it's going to be a wonderful venue for your like celebrations, 
birthday parties, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, graduations. It's, it's going to do all of that. It's going to be a great forum for business dinners and, and closing deals and, you know, all of that. It's going to, it's going to do all of those things really well. It just, it won't have that. It won't have that same excitement. Yeah. It just had a very calm energy, right? Like it was just very chill. Right. But we got, we got great service and we had a wonderful time and I thought the food was all cooked really well. And, and I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to people even compared to the other, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of options for steak in the woodlands. And I think Mastro's certainly holds its own with, with any of them. I agree. All right, Felice, I'm going to say that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have a good one. All right. I will be right back with Ryan Cade and Blake Roberts. This week, I am joined by the owners of RC Ranch, a Wagyu cattle ranch that's uh, located outside of Houston. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. Ryan Cade, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Blake Robertson, thanks for doing this. Yes, sir. Thank you, Eric. We sure do appreciate it. Ryan, let me, let me start with you. Maybe just talk just a little bit about kind of your personal background and, and how you, you got into the ranching business. Yeah, happy to do it. So uh, growing up in Brazoria County, a, a small community south of Houston, um, was always around cattle and, and cattle were, you know, just kind of part of who we are and in this part of the world and, and probably more of a hobby than anything else for most ranchers in Brazoria County. And then about 10 years ago at a, at a great restaurant in the Houston area, I tried my first Wagyu steak and I truly fell in love. And I, I knew from that moment forward, I had to figure this out. I didn't know what Wagyu was. It was even marketed as Texas Kobe beef is how they marketed it. And at the time, you know, nobody really understood the difference. The education piece of it wasn't there, but I just became a sponge. Uh, I, I fell in love with, you know, kind of a foodie at heart, you know, kind of a backyard wannabe chef like so many guys in Texas, you know, got the outdoor kitchen and the fire pits and all that kind of stuff. And so love to get on the back porch and mix it up. So when I tried that steak for the first time, I just said, I've got to, I've got to understand this. This could really make the ranching business a lot of fun. So became a student of the game, found a guy in the Dallas area who became a mentor to me and uh, taught me a lot about genetics and the history and, and feeding programs and what makes the breed different. We even started learning about oleic acid and low melting point fat and all those things that make Wagyu beef spectacular and different from the commodity beef that we all grew up eating, which is typically some type of a, an Angus based product. Yeah, no, we're going to, we're going to get into the specifics of Wagyu beef and, and how you sort of develop this, this cattle that you, you sell, but, but let me just, uh, Blake, let me just circle back to you. How did, how did you get involved in this? Well, uh, Ryan and I, we grew up, uh, together. He's actually known me since I was born, uh, I'm, I'm 39 and he's uh, 44. So we're five years apart. Uh, and um, our parents, um, our mothers were actually student teachers together. Um, so we, me and Ryan grew up, uh, you know, throwing football in the backyard, going to A&M Texas games. Um, and our families were together. We always uh, would, would eat and, and drink big. Uh, you know, I'm 
part of my, my family's uh, in the beverage side. Uh, my dad started a beer company in 1983, and uh, I've been um, rocking and rolling in that since I was, I guess, in diapers. Uh, so, but I think, you know, life just kind of carried us uh, together, and, and he played uh, college football. I played college football, so we had this kind of same mentality, work hard, play hard, and we, we, we knew we wanted to be partners. Uh, we just didn't know how. Um, we, we, we had the same, you know, even our wives, both college softball players, um, you know, just like to go do the same things, eat, eat the same, drink the same, uh, listen to the kind of the same music and, and, uh, and love the great outdoors. Um, and, and that's the way we raise our, our awesome kids. Now I've got two boys, Ryan's got two boys and a beautiful daughter. Uh, and so, you know, I think we just kept, uh, sitting on that porch with, a, you know, with a, good kick-ass craft beer in our hand and said, you know, how the hell are we going to partner? And uh, about 11 years ago, or shit, might be 12 years ago now, we, uh, um, you know, we said, let's do this. And it started with a little bitty, um, little bitty herd of cattle um, that they called Wagyu. And, uh, and man, we started eating it. And his, of course, Kelly's a hell of a lot better cook than Ryan. So when she started cooking it, 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 uh, it blew us away. And so, I mean, that's how we got involved. I think just, uh, you know, being lifelong, uh, friends and family more than anything first and then we turn that into a great partnership that uh that um led us down this path all right yeah ryan you you started to get into this and and i kind of cut you off but but maybe maybe just explain a little bit more about why wagyu beef specifically as opposed to you know black angus or or even you know a traditional american cattle that that you know could be choice or prime or or one of the other uh, USDA grades. Yeah, I'd love to. And, and just to be clear, you know, love beef. Uh, beef is great and, and um, not knocking any, any breeds or any, um, you, know, uh, you know, derivations of that. But Wagyu is just truly different. And, and to try to illustrate that in my story, it was, you know, growing up eating beef. I, beef's great beef. You know, there's good beef, there's great beef. And, and, and there's some difference between them. But I've never had an eating experience that was this I'm going to use the word catastrophic. I mean, it just, I tried this Wagyu ribeye and I said to myself, I've been eating steak my whole life. What in the world is this? And it was that different and it had that profound of a, of an impact on me. And that's why I went back and got to work and began researching. But um, so, you know, what is the difference? You know, so, so much of what we all grew up eating in the beef side of things was some sort of an Angus based product. Angus has a huge hold on the beef market. And, um, you know, most cattle have some Angus in them, you know, some percentage of Angus in them. When you see the black hide, it's uh, always presumed to have some Angus uh, influence. Um, and Angus Association has done great things to improve carcass quality in their breed. But, and it all boils down to genetics, even with Wagyu. But while all breeds have, um, their uses, their specific uses, they're raised for a certain reason. Wagyu is truly raised for the beef quality. And by quality, I certainly mean marbling. And everybody thinks of marbling. Marbling is that intramuscular fat that, that makes a, a carcass prime or high prime or, or whatever grades. And most of your listeners probably understand that full well. What they may not understand is the difference in the fat. Um, Wagyu or Japanese cattle. So Wagyu literally translates Japanese cattle. So anything that's Japanese cattle is Wagyu. Um, it has a low melting point fat. So if you 
put your, your fingers on a room temperature steak or hold some ground beef in your hands, you're going to begin to feel it kind of start to melt much quicker than you would, um, you know, some other typical Angus based store commodity beef, we'll just say, as opposed to calling out any specific breeds. But that is that low melting point fat. And this a real buttery flavor. A lot of times when people try that, that Wagyu beef for the first time, they describe it as kind of buttery. And, and that's the, the content. It's, it's very high in oleic acids, which is a, a healthy uh, component of fat. Um, you know, there were some studies done through Texas A&M and Washington State that uh, likened the fat in Wagyu beef to the fat in salmon, which is been marketed for years as a, a healthier type of fat. And that has to do with the, the omega contents and, and in the case of Wagyu beef, the oleic acid. So, uh, you know, that low melting point fat and those other characteristics do make it a, a healthier type of fat. And I would encourage your, uh, your listeners to, to um, well, there's some studies on our website, but uh, Texas A&M and Washington State have both researched this extensively. Also, the American Wagyu Association has um, some articles on their website that, that do a, a better job from a, a PhD perspective explaining all that. And I know that you guys have a, a specific, you know, you have bred for certain uh, genetic qualities to, to get a breed of Wagyu that, that works in our Texas climate. So. So maybe Blake, why don't why don't you talk about kind of kind of how you guys put that together? Well, I think uh, I, I can use the uh, a pretty funny story, but I, I might save that for whenever we have a beer because <laughs> uh, I got a um, one time uh, Ryan and I went up to we have this guy um, he's up in Steaker, Oklahoma, and uh, just an amazing gentleman. Um, Don is probably what Ryan in his seventies. Yeah, I would and, say so. Yeah, great mentor uh, to Ryan on the genetic side when we, you know, first got going down this path. And 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 I, you know, um, you know, there's there's a deal out there that I think they've kind of put together, which is more of like a sandwich type breeding. Um, and and listening to Ryan and Dawn in these rooms um, talk about how they want to get certain things, certain qualities in the carcass um, through these certain. Um, through this sandwich breeding approach, um, blew, blew me away. Um, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, just a um, get out there and, and get it done type guy. Um, shake your hand, you know, and, and, and love to eat and drink with you and, and all that and learn different things. And, you know, Ryan has this um, different component in his brain, um, you know, when it comes to genetics. And so, um, you know, that's the world that, that, that he lives in a lot. And, and I respect especially from an outside business partner approach. Um, and, and I think it's good for our partnership and because it gives us a whole nother view, you know, I'm thinking a totally different way than Don and Ryan are. Um, he was taught, you know, in, in certain ways and obviously Ryan's done a ton of research um, that, that has really, I think led to our success of being one of the, you know, the, the best, one of the best Wagyu growers um, definitely here in the state of Texas. Um, and, and I would put us up to anybody in the country from a carcass uh, quality standpoint um, and then and then just what we're doing, um, you know, knowing where your food comes from, from A to, to Z. Um, and and we're, we're we have Ford invested in that and the genetics, are a huge part of that. Yeah. And, and Eric, I'll just to add to that. One of the, the things Blake talked about was sandwich breeding. There's three main lines. Um, that were imported from Japan in the 80s and the 90s, mid 80s to mid 90s. 
somewhere in the 90s, Japan declared the Wagyu breed a national treasure and said, "We no more, no more exportation of, of this breed of cattle. This is our national treasure. And so we had about a 10-year-ish window where we were able to import these genetics. And the three main lines were Tajima, Shimani, and Kadaka. So many people know about the Tajima line because that's the line that's known for marble, 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 lots of marbling, brings that great marbling that everybody wants in their state. But what people that understand animal genetics and, and raising animals um, don't forget is that you also have to have great females. And then size is important as well because we also, we still sell by the pound, right? And so you have to make sure that when you're, you're breeding, you don't just breed for one specific trait. To Blake's point, you sandwich in these other traits that are also really important. And so our Tajma line is the line that's known for the marbling. And then we have these Kadaka lines and these Shimani lines, which also um, add in some great maternal traits, make some great mothers that produce great milk, and then also help us with increased size. Um, that we want. Wagyu are not huge animals. We're we're going to be 85 or so percent um, of the size of a typical American uh, commodity beef steer. And so uh, we, we do want to increase size to where we can kind of get in those same ranges. And it's important to us that we, you know, add those Shimani and Kadaka genetics in there. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like your, your timing, you know, starting around 10 years ago, was good because it it times out really well with, you know, as you said, sort of people being more interested in, you know, where your food comes from and how it's raised and and what's in it and what are the benefits and so so I think in that sense it was it was probably fortunate, but but you know talk a little bit about the process of of how you marketed this beef and and kind of built your reputation and and got it in front of people. Yeah, you bet. And this is really Blake's wheelhouse. And I'll say a couple of things and pass it off to him. But um, we knew we had a good product. We knew we had a, a, a product that tasted great. The quality was there. We knew we could replicate it, you know, because of our understanding with animal genetics. And so, um, you know, we knew we could get that far. But then it comes to, to building a brand and marketing and, and, and entering the, the big city, you know, Houston and, and getting to know those folks that were important players in the game. And, and again, building that brand distribution and sales. And, and my business partner, Blake's family, has been doing this for decades in the beer business. And so um, that's where you know, he and I make a really great team is that I'm super focused on the genetics and, and the growing side. And, and, you know, he's got a wealth of knowledge on, you know, sales distribution and, and um, you know, product placement. And so I'll kind of kick it over him and let him talk a little bit about, you know, once it does get to the rail or in the box, um, you know, our plan from there and, and what he sees in the marketplace as far as people truly caring where their food comes from. No, yeah, definitely. So we, um, yeah, I think when you look at um, beef and beer, it, the, the, the parallels are very similar. Um, you know, same kind of chefs, um, same same grocery stores, same cabinets, you know, uh, different type of shelving. But at the same time, um, it's it's still you're putting something on the shelf and you're going to a, to a consumer. And, and that consumer is normally a little bit more educated um, in the field that we're playing in. Than, than, than your average. But what I would tell you that's very similar to um, in the craft beer world, you know, is just the, uh, the time of which you can go versus the beef world, which is like three three years. You know, I mean, whenever you're 
you know, you have a, a, a carcass that you're working with from start to finish, you know, that's not going to hit a plate for basically three years. And that's challenging, um, extremely challenging, especially uh, um, to guys like Ryan and I, who, you know, you've got to, you've got to put in a lot of capital um, to get it off the ground running. You've got to have a lot of support by really smart people out there um, that, that'll help you. And then you got to get a little bit lucky along the way, you know, too, that, um, you know, somebody we were fortunate enough to have, you know, really, really good guys in the industry um, step up and support our brand. Um, and that was just by, you know, really good firm handshakes and, and, um, and, and kind of doing exactly what, you know, we tell them, Hey, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And then living up to that, you know, in the world we live in now, it's, um, that's, that's not as, as common as it used to be back in the day. And I think that's kind of been our mentality when somebody shakes our hand and we say, Hey, this is how we want to go to market with you. And how do you want to go to market? We listen and we adapt to each other. And with that, it, it creates a pretty easy selling story that you can take, uh, to the most important piece. And that's the consumer. Um, you know, that, that's who ultimately we got to lock arms with as growers, uh, marketers, sellers, um, I mean, even our, our banking relationships, we got to, you know, those, for all of us, the circle closes with the consumer. And so we've got to listen to them. Uh, we've got to change and be nimble and we got to do that quickly. And, uh, and where we hear what they want, we, we got to, um, you know, kind of double down on some of those things. So I think that's what makes it fun too. And, and we wouldn't do this if it wasn't fun. I think um, that, that's been in all of our businesses. This is the way we've grown up is why the hell do it if it's, if it's not fun, you know, cause um, a lot of times it, 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 it strains on you mentally and, and, um, and, and you know, in, in the world of, of ranching and physically too, you know, but, uh, uh, but boy, it's fun. And it's fun to watch our consumer um, constantly change when you educate them a little bit at a time. And I think we've seen that in craft beer over the last 35 years. Um, and, and we're seeing it in food right now in a big way and not just beef, but in, in a lot of things. So, well, so, so then what are some of the things that people were asking for? I mean, obviously, you know, you can only sell so many fillets and ribeyes. So, so, yep. you know, what, what, what did the consumer demand look like and, and maybe sort of how has it evolved? I mean, what are you, what are you selling now that you couldn't, you didn't necessarily have a market for in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, at first, even, you know, 10, 11 years ago, um, you know, we, we kind of had our first carcasses out there and put it on the table, um, you know, for people to try. And, and you know, we've, we've been selling in the, in the different local markets for a long time, um, man, for the last six or seven years, uh, Memorial, Lake Jackson, Friendswood, kind of different ones. We've tried some different ones. And, and I think that's where we've really heard um, the consumer the best because you're right there. You know, our kids are right there selling to them. One of our employees is right there selling to them. We're right there selling to them. So we can come back each week and, and really put our heads together on, hey, what are they saying? And, and I think what they're starting to say more and more, Eric, is um, they, they got to know more about where their food is before it goes in their body. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that at an earlier age, which I think is uh, – and, and I think it's, it's really cool to see. And they want to know that story. They want to know – um, local, I think, has been big for a long time and kind of this craft, you know, those are big words that have been thrown out there for a long time. But I think the one thing that sets us apart that we've seen the consumer really dig into is we're that way through the whole process. Um, and, and we take it all the way 
you know, from gate to plate uh, mentality. And, and, it, and, and we're doing that when a lot of our um, competitors um, and, and people getting in this space um, j- just aren't, you know, they don't know where their beef comes from. It's a conglomerate of different ranches and, and different things of where they're, um, you know, getting their beef from and where we can tell that story to the consumer. I think that's been the most important dynamic change that I've seen over the last 10 years is people really caring. And then, I mean, let's, let's sort of fast forward to the, to the present. I mean, you guys opened a butcher shop at the, the Houston farmer's market, you know, sort of how did, how did that come about? And, and maybe, you know, like you said, you've been selling it at farmer's markets, you've been selling at restaurants, you know, what was the appeal for you in terms of having your own, like a dedicated permanent location? Yeah, I'll go here, Blake, and you can jump in if I forget something, but I think it's a couple of things, Eric, and um, March, you know, two years ago, when we learned about this word COVID, um, you know, 85, 90% of our business was restaurants, and uh, you know, that's the day that every restaurant in the state of Texas closed. And, um, you know, we did not have the retail footprint that we wanted to have. Um, you know, had we, we would have still had that out. We had some great farmer's markets and we got creative and we hustled real hard and did what we do and, and found ways to sell product. But, you know, we did not have a retail outlet. And so we talked about it. We were working on it. We were going down that path, but we decided then and there we had to really get serious about it. And uh, that's when we, um, you know, met with Chef Chris Shepard and, and, and his group and, and, and got involved with those guys, which I'd love to talk more about in a minute. But the other piece of it, you know, why did we decide we wanted to open up a butcher shop? There's a really, really important word. And I think you were going this direction with your question a minute ago, but there's a word called utilization, right? So we had this whole beef carcass and everybody knows what a ribeye, a strip and a filet is. And these days, everybody even knows what fajita is. But beyond that, there's the consumer's not real educated, right? So there's all these other great cuts, these other great ways to utilize a beef carcass that people just don't know about. And so we have to educate them. Um, you know, for example, I'd never heard of a, of a bavette before I really started processing my own cattle. Um, then I found bavette, and I don't know the last time I ate a ribeye. I mean, that is my favorite cut of beef on the whole entire beef carcass is a bavette. So I started selling bavettes to all my friends because I love it. And it's great. And I can tell them how to cook it. And guess what? We don't have bavettes anymore. I can't tell you the last time I had a bavette. But what we did was we educated the consumer. And we want to have an opportunity to sit across the counter from the people that are interested in what we're doing. Tell them who we are talk to them about great beef and in hopes of educating them about all the other great opportunities there are outside of the ribeye strip and the filet um, for lack of a, a better uh, way to, ex- to explain it. Well, and, and I think, you know, being in Texas or, or maybe especially in Houston, right. You, you know, we know what to do with a brisket, right. And, and we have all sure. these Brazilian steakhouses. And so, you know, you're, you're eating picanha, but maybe you, you know, maybe you don't know where that's from on the cow exactly, or, or what the different sirloin cuts are and what your options are. And so, you know, I think, but, but if you see it in a butcher shop, you might go, Oh, you know, I've had that, you know, I know that. Yeah. Uh, and I can cook that at home. There you go. That's, that's, and then YouTube and, and all these other uh, avenues for people to take cuts that maybe originally they were nervous about or, or were intimidated by and, and go and execute them. Uh, that's been a, been a real blessing as well. Um, well, I think too, um, you know, the, the consumer is getting smarter and smarter every day. 
Um, you know, you go back 10, 20 years ago and, and it, nothing was just right here, you know, and now, I mean, they can find the answer they want in, in three seconds. You know, they just talked to a little thing called Siri and it tells the answer, you know, and because uh, I was guilty, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know about these cuts. I mean, hell, I didn't know what a Denver was and then you cook it hot and fast, cut it against the grain. You know, Georgia James was one of my first experiences with the Denver cut and uh, it was amazing, you know, and I was like, wow, what the heck is this? And Ryan and Ryan's like, like we've had these for forever. <laughs> you, and, and, you know, and so we started cooking them and, and, and I mean, it's just you, what you experience um, through the carcass. And, and I think going back to the butcher shop, you know, having your own brick and mortar where you can tell your story about your meat and, and where it comes from. And, and you can, Ryan said the huge word that we always talk about is the education. And as we can grow that education um, across the consumer network, I think, you know, through our chef relationships and, and through our other partnerships to the consumer, you know, they're going to come there and have that great experience and then either, you know, take it right to their doorstep or, or go once they have it at, you know, Blue Dorns or, or one of Chris's places or whoever out there that's, that's buying. I mean, they, they, they can go tell that story and really know, man, this is where I got it. This was my first impression. And I talked to somebody about how to cook it. And I think that's what's really cool about the butcher shop too. Well, I mean, I, who are some of the restaurants, you know, cause I, I mean, I know, for example, I, I had an RC ranch prime rib recently at, at Trist. that was, you know, unbelievable how just beefy and rich and satisfying uh, that kind of steak was. Yeah. Now we've been blessed to um, been able to partner at one point or another with, you know, all the great, all the great steakhouses in, in the, uh, in the city. And I, I don't want to start naming names cause I'll forget one, but um, you know, all the, uh, you know, we, we've had an opportunity to work with all the best and, and they do an amazing job with the execution. And we're proud to, uh, to, to, to be there and, and help any of them every time there's room on their menu for us. Right. But, but obviously you do have a special relationship with Chris Shepard. I mean, you're, you know, he's, he's curating uh, some of these vendors at the Houston farmer's market. And you're you're right next to Underbelly Burger, his new spot. So, uh, so maybe maybe just say a little bit about kind of your relationship with Chris and how that's evolved over the years. Yeah, I know. Um, um, love the guy, and I remember the first time I met him, and I was trying to figure out what what he and I had in common. You know, I mean, I'm a kind of a country guy from Brazoria County and a rancher, and don't know a lot about the restaurant business. He's potentially the biggest name probably in, in, in food and, and certainly Houston, maybe the tech state of Texas and beyond. And I didn't really know what I was getting into when I met him the first time, but uh, if you ask me today, I'll genuinely tell you, I love that guy. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that not only is he a great chef, a successful person, uh, have a good business, but he is as genuine of an individual as you will ever meet. And uh, I truly appreciate that in people. I'd run through a brick wall for him. Um, you know, we met and started talking about this concept of a butcher shop. And again, I didn't know the business, didn't understand the business. Um, but over the course of about a year and a half, um, you know, we worked through some concepts and some ideas and, and he and his, his uh, investment group were very supportive of us. And we're now open, uh, as is their burger shop next to us. And we'll be selling the Wagyu beef, uh, you know, next door to that burger shop. And then we'll have a lot of product that'll be sold in wild oats when it opens in just a few months, as well as hopefully some of the other restaurants that are, that are right there on the horizon. But I would, you know, him and Nick are, are great people. I consider them very dear friends and uh, 
I'm grateful that, you know, when we came into the city and said, Hey, we got this great product. Uh, we'd sure like you to consider it. They wel they welcomed us with open arms again, as did so many others. And, and again, we, we can't say thank you enough to all those great chefs and restaurants. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the butcher shop's been open for a couple of weeks. I mean, how's it going so far? What are you, what's your kind of initial impression and, and maybe how would you like to see it, it grow over, you know, the next, say the first six months to a year? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, initially, you know, I walked through the door and it's, it's pretty, pretty humbling to see, um, you know, your partners and um, up on the wall and, and the places that you, that your brand has, has seen, um, you know, over the course of, of, uh, you know, several years and uh, it just brings you back, you know, so it's, Hey, it was very humbling to walk through the door, you know, as far as the foot traffic, we got a lot of work to do, um, together, you know, as, uh, with, with Chris's group and, and ours and, and everybody around that market, you know, that whole area has, has, uh, really changed in the last, you know, I would say 10 years, but, um, you know, prior to that, it was, um, that, that area was, was known for, for all kinds of different, um, things in that part of town. And so I think, you know, with us, uh, we, we, you know, we're, we're the first one in, uh, you know, over there on the brick and mortar side. And then, you know, Underbelly Group was right behind us with the burger. So we're committed um, to create some amazing change, um, you know, in that area. And, and our goal is, is lines with theirs, which is to create an amazing destination in Houston um, as it pertains to people, um, processes, food, um, and just a damn good time. You know, that's what we want. You know, I mean, whether we're cooking for kids or, cooking for a cause or um, um, partnering together out there on the lawn doing somersaults. Hell, we don't care. We just want to create this um, amazing atmosphere that people can bring their families seven days a week and experience um, some great culture, people. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I would say to uh, family, just heritage is there, there's, you walk through this place and, and, you know, Ryan and I are just one of two you know, um, that have, um, you know, families that, that work in the business and, um, and you, you walk through the Houston farmer's market and you can see, I mean, they wear it with pride, whatever they're selling is because it's, a, it's part of their, their, their culture, their family or what they've done and, and they believe in. And, that, and that's why we, uh, you know, put our anchor in the ground there because we believe in what they're doing and the things around us. So long way to go. Um, especially, I mean, we've got, I mean, people there are still, what's the front what's the back uh we got to get the signs up you know and and we all know that as a smart group but uh at the end of the day we're going to win um there with everybody and uh and it's going to be a lot a lot of fun to watch the only thing i'll add to that eric is um that's well said that just one little caveat is you know we've worked farmers markets for years now and i continue to be amazed at the people that walk up to buy product and find out who we are and what we're doing that have never been to a ranch, have never seen a cow outside of driving down the highway. Um, they're so disconnected from the producer, you know, that knowing where your food comes from piece that Blake and I keep talking about. And so we were super committed to telling that story. When you walk into the store, we want you to walk into that shop and feel like in some ways you're on the ranch. And that's the purpose of the pictures and then the QR codes that are, you know, that are coming. We want you to be able to see videos to understand who we are, not just Blake and I, but the other families that produce lambs and goats and pigs and chickens and everything else that will, you know, eventually sell in that shop. But we want people to feel like they've stepped 
onto the ranch when they come in there in so many ways and, and feel that comfort that, hey, this food that we're we're selling you, we're providing you, it's from our family to yours. And we put our family stamp of approval on it. And uh, if it wasn't great, we wouldn't feed it to our own family. So we're proud to, to serve it to you and yours. We want to have that, that warmth and that feeling when they come in our shop. No, I, I mean, I think that's a good point. And, you know, I, I walked in there with a friend of mine and, and, you know, we were greeted and how can we help you and what are you looking for? And, and, you know, knowing that there's resources to, to kind of walk you through this stuff. If you, if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, or you, you don't understand the difference between the various products. I mean, I, I think that's, that's very helpful. And then just the other thing is, I think it's worth sort of reemphasizing you're not just selling beef off your ranch. There's, there's a lot of other stuff in there. And so maybe just sort of explain like kind of what some of the other products you're carrying are and, and how you selected that and, and maybe how you'd like to see that, that selection grow. Yeah, I'll go first and then let Blake, Blake jump in, but we're committed to local. We're committed to producers like us, you know, across the, the food, the protein spectrum. Um, we want people that, um, take great pride in what they do. Uh, animal husbandry, you know, the way they, the way producers raise animals is important to us. And we, we vet those people really hard. Um, and so, you know, we're continuing to, to find uh, co-producers that, that can produce product um, of the quality and, and the way that, that we expect. We do have lamb, we do have goat, we do have pigs, and, and we're working with uh, Texas A&M's uh, Swine Research Center on, on expanding our, our port program. And so everything you see in there and, and, and every with every path, passing month, we'll continue to dial this in. But everything you see in there has been vetted and it's um, the best of its kind. It's local. It's Texas. And it tells a story that we believe that our consumer you know, demands from us. It was funny this morning I was driving into Houston and uh, Mark Frydenberg, Captain Mark, good friend of ours, um, calls me and uh, we're, we're or actually I called him and then he called me back. And so we were talking and he's uh, he's an awesome dude down in um, the Freeport area, um, you know, Lake Jackson. And uh, he, he he's a he's got his own little fish market um, down there in Freeport. And, and he, he visited us the other day with his lovely wife, Paige, and said, said, Blake, you know, down there, you know, Lent's coming. And, and uh, let me tell you, man, people they, they need that shrimp and they don't want the tails on them. They got to have the big, nice heads. And, 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 man, you just sell this by the pound and it's about volume. I, I can get it to you. And so I think, you, you know, my point is, is it was cool hearing his passion just from stepping in the other day. And we know we're going to definitely sell some of Captain Mark seafood. Um, and, and, but I love his passion and his, and he's, and he's sitting there talking to, he's closing, uh, checking people out while he's talking to me on the phone too. And I, and I think that just, it just brings me joy on, uh, you know, the small business um, hustle and, and also the, 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 how these, how they care, you know, I mean, they just, they really care as well about where that food comes from and why, and, and then how can Ryan and I take that to the, um, you know, some of the, one of the best parts of, of Houston, um, you know, right there in the Heights and, and, and turn it in, into something for a great family on, on a, you know, on a Friday night during Lent, you know, cause they, cause they can't eat meat or, you know, what? So it was just funny that he had this whole uh, theory, but anyways, that's who our partners are. And that makes me proud. No, I, I, I think that's so important. I, I think, you know, this isn't, this isn't frozen Chinese imported shrimp. These are Captain Mark shrimp. You, you could, you know, yeah. and if, if you don't believe us, you know, 
here's here's where Captain Bark is, and you can you can go down there That's and right. ask him yourself. I I and, yeah. and he'll tell yeah. you. <laughs> you better get ready for a conversation too. That's but, right. But it was great because he, uh, you know, he was just he was just so passionate about it, and and uh, and already had nine different directions of how Ryan and I need to need to sell his his fish, and we we love him to death. He's he's a great guy. All right, well, gentlemen, I'm going to say that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you want to discuss? I, I mean, I, I would just love to hear, you know, from you. I mean, what was the first feeling you had? I mean, everybody's got a gut when they walk into a place, and, and I appreciate you walking in. But, you know, that'd be probably my first question is, you know, it's kind of like, oh, shit, these guys missed this or or man, this is, this is pretty cool. Or, you know, just maybe if you can tell me about, you know, I mean, my thought was that I was impressed by the number of prepared items because I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And I know you've only been open for a couple of weeks, but, Oh, you know, Oh, I can get, I can get Wagyu pastrami here or I can get chili or I can get, you know, a, a, a dry, you know, I saw the dry aged beef and, and so, you know, just, just knowing that, that it's not just, it's not just raw meat, you know, and it, and, but that it's, it's seafood and it's sauces and it's seasonings and it's, it's even cooking equipment or, or some, you know, some gift type stuff. I mean, just, just knowing that it's, it's so much bigger than that makes it easier to kind of tell people, you know, you can, you can go there and you will, if you love food, you will find something you want to buy there. And I think that's kind of the most important step for me was just understanding like, oh, you know, I could like, I don't have to commit to some giant uh, tomahawk ribeye. Like I can, I can leave with a bag of jerky. Sure. Right. What about, um, where are you seeing these, you know, kind of ready to eat items, uh, but, but more in the specialty world, you know, where, you know, if you're out there in the Heights, I mean, everybody lives a hustle and bustle type life. I mean, heck, I want to go out to the nicest restaurants or, or even the, the dives in my flip-flop and cut off shirt. You know, I, I, I love that whole side of things. I mean, our restaurant partners and bars in the greater Houston area are, are amazing. Uh, but with the hustle and bustle we live, where do you see these kind of unique, to Ryan's point earlier, um, utilization of the carcass um, you know, the mac and cheese uh, that has Wagyu, Wagyu meatballs, um, you know, uh, Wagyu lasagna for 10 or, I mean, are you seeing a market out there for that at all in your? Well, you know, I, I sort of think about, you know, people in my family, you know, young children, working parents, you know, you want to have something, you want to have something you can serve everybody. You, you don't necessarily want to do a ton of meal prep. So. So I think just keeping it kind of family friendly, keeping the, the flavors pretty classic um, is, is always a good first step. But, you know, I mean, this is Houston. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be, you know, especially once the, the market kind of rounds out a little bit, you know, if there's a, once there's like a bakery on site and stuff, you know, like a, or, you know, like a grow your own Korean barbecue, uh, you know, marinated meats to go. I mean, certainly you know, especially, uh, especially given everything that's around you, you know, you know, fajitas marinated and ready, like ready for the grill. That all makes sense to me. Prepared kebabs makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, 
you know, anything that can just sort of be done, you know, a roast, like put it in the oven, you know, 350 for an hour, it's, it's good to go. I mean, all that stuff just makes a ton of sense to me. That's great. I know our concept is, is uh, you know, we'll, hey, we'll even cook a brisket for you. You know, we've got a, a nice big smoker there. And, um, you know, so what we'll, we'll do as much or as little uh, to, to the meat or, you know, make, make something for you, whatever. So that's kind of where we were going. So I want to get your, your feedback and that's great. Well, and, and that was the other thing that, that sort of occurred to me is that, you know, the special occasion kind of stuff, especially around the holidays, you know, I think we, we kind of come, we've kind of come through that, but, you know, I, I saw a ton of beef Wellington on my timeline at Christmas, you know, obviously turkeys at Thanksgiving, you know, crown roasts, all that kind of special occasion, prime rib, you know, knowing, knowing that you can go and order that and have it for, for those holidays. I think, I think that's going to be a, a really nice opportunity for you. Yeah, we're, we're committed to differentiation, right? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good meat markets around the city. We want to be different, different in a good way. Um, so we ask everybody that comes to the door, Hey, what do you see that, what do you not see that you wish you saw, you know, what are some things, you know, again, as long as they fit into our, our culture, our parameters, you know, our, what, what we expect, you know, let us know. We'll, we'll be happy to go source those things for you. We want to be uh, what Blake calls a lot of times, all things to all people when it comes to food. And so if there's something that our, our customers don't see but wish they had, let us know. We'll go find it. We'll make sure it's right. And we'll make sure it's there for you next time you come. Yeah, you know what I'm going to say is off brand is uh fake meat. Uh, no, no impossible beef. No beyond. No, that's right. I, People can no, get that. Like, real I, I, I realize that there's a market for that, but they can get that somewhere else. They don't need to get that. That's right. Go somewhere else for that. That we're not your, we're not your home for that. <laughs> so Eric, you're, you're on a, uh, you're on a small Island and you only got one more meal left and one person to cook it for you. What is it? And who's that? Well, you know, I, I, I take the cheaters way out of this because otherwise I think I'd get in trouble. So I'm, I'm going to say, you know, <laughs> There's something very fundamental about my mother's oven braised brisket that, that is just, it's a staple of our family and, and every holiday it's a, it's a part of so many uh, family celebrations. So that's, that's my, my go-to answer for that question. I think it's the, it's the safest answer I can, I can offer you. You make a good oh. politician. <laughs> yeah, my, well, my, my business partner, Ryan there, he's, he's six, five, 300 pounds. So hey, you did, you, you did better than him because he just lists every food chain item that he can. Cause he wants to go out with a bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind, Blake Robertson, I'm going to start with you. What is your favorite cut of beef? Flat iron. Ryan Cade, how about you? Bavette. Ryan, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Alabama. Blake? Reba McIntyre with Alan Jackson. <laughs> Blake, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through Double meat water burger with bacon, jalapenos, double everything. Ryan, how about you? Wendy's triple cheeseburger. <laughs> and a frosty gotta get the frosty yeah ryan who is your favorite houston sports figure past or present jj watt or, or warren moon I, going back to my childhood you know i was an old love you blue i still a little bitter about that i'm gonna go jj watt blake how about you 
God, this is a tough one. I mean, I just love Clyde the Glide. Yeah, that's good. Too. There's something about him. Yeah. Houston boy, can't go wrong with that. Uh, all right. Blake, finally, what is the new restaurant you are dying to try? What's at the top of your list? I'm pretty excited about, uh, I know I probably shouldn't say this in the beef world, but uh, I'm actually pretty excited about uh, Blue Dorm Seafood opening. Um, he's done an amazing job in the city. They're good friends of ours. Uh, done a lot with them. They've been out to the ranch. Uh, I, sorry, it's a short answer. I can talk yeah. for days, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm always excited about, you know, anything um, that, that successful entrepreneurs are opening. I think that's going to be a, a winner. Ryan, how about you? Wild oats, baby. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. It's going to be right next to you. Yes, sir. All right, gentlemen, uh, give me the website for RC Ranch and, and tell people how they can keep up with everything that you're up to. www.r-cranch.com. www.r-cranch.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest. Not TikTok, huh? Not yet. They're, they're pushing me on it. I'm not sure if I'm ready to make those videos, but I tell you what, if it sells me, we'll figure it out. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. You bet. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.